0: Making the world healthier, safer, and more efficient. That's the mission for IT professionals at Lidos. And right now, they're looking for the next generation of innovators to help transform the business and change the future of work. Excellent pay and sign on bonuses available. Security clearance required. Put your software skills to work with Lidos. Learn more at slash PHX2. That's L E I D O slash PHX2. We're grateful to have our
1: friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global podcast. Discover the Sleep Number bed that adjusts on each side. It's perfect both for you and your partner. With their Sleep IQ technology at your fingertips, you'll know just what to adjust to get your best sleep. Does your bed do that? Check them out at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Welcome to the Thrive Global podcast. I'm so excited about today's guest on our Thrive podcast. Glennon Doyle Melton is a true force of nature. Someone whose writing is impossible to read casually, let alone absent-mindedly. Her ability to connect, her skills at creating intimacy and her fearless honesty about the highs and lows of her own life, her marriage and her relationships grab you and demand your attention. She's like a human empathy machine. This is why the online community she founded, Mama's Dairy, reaches millions of people each week and why her two books carry on warrior the power of embracing your messy beautiful life and her 2016 memoir love warrior became huge bestsellers she's an activist she's a person of faith she's also the founder of together rising a non-profit that's raised over seven million dollars for vulnerable women and children for those who don't know her story after becoming sober, getting married, having children, and having what she thought had been a solid 14-year marriage, which she'd been writing about, she found out her husband had been having affairs all along. That revelation in the aftermath was the subject of Love Warrior. And then, a few months before publication, she announced that, in fact, she and her husband Craig were separating, and then this past November, she announced her engagement to former professional soccer player Abby Wambach. Glennon, I'm so glad you could join us today, and congratulations, by the way, on the engagement.
2: Thank you. Life is surprising. I'll tell you what, I'm so excited and happier than I've ever been, and I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. Your leadership in the world has been such an inspiration to me forever, and so just thank you. I want to start by saying thank you for just continuing to pave the way for so many of us.
1: Well, thank you so much. I must say what I love most about your work is how honest you are. With social media, there is always this pressure to present this idealized version of ourselves. But that's definitely not what you do. You call yourself a recovering everything. Not just recovering from substance abuse, but getting up after getting knocked down again and again. And that began in childhood when you turned to numbing yourself with bulimia and alcohol as a response to not wanting to walk through the battlefield of life naked, as you put it. So what does it mean to you to walk through the battlefield of life naked? And when did you realize that that's what you were doing?
2: Well, I think that walking through the battlefield of life naked means to me is what I learned in early recovery. So when I decided to get sober, um, was the day that I found out that I was pregnant with my son 15 years ago, and I'd been lost to bulimia and alcoholism for 15 years at that point. And I went to my first recovery meeting that day when I found out that I was pregnant, and I just sat in a circle of people who told their stories and and the stories of their insides and how they really experienced life. Just so honestly. And I was so inspired by it because I felt like I lived in a world where everyone was trying to act like they were perfect and that life was easy all the time. Um, And so I left that meeting thinking, if I could do life this honestly, maybe I could actually be a person of integrity and courage out in the world. Because it seems silly to only be able to be that honest in little basements in recovery meetings. Mm -hmm. Why can't we do it all the time, right?
1: I love that. And, you know, I have a, a daughter, my oldest daughter, who has been sober for five years now, being part of her journey. And um, I know what you mean about how somehow during recovery, when it's working, you're willing to be vulnerable, you're willing to be naked. And then we all feel somehow that we have to show our lives to each other through these Instagram filters that make everything mm-hmm. look hazy. And And um, unrealistically um, free of
2: flaws. (laughs) Yeah. And then we call it, you know, comparing our insides to other people's outsides, Mm -hmm. right? Or our um, whole life to other people's highlight reels. I mean, that's what actually happens. We sit behind computers and look at other people's social media and we think that their lives are all shiny and happy and running through daisy fields all day. (laughs) Um, When really, oh God, the messiness and difficulty of life is the same for all of us. And, you know, sobriety brings that right to the surface because what your daughter is learning, I'm sure, and what I keep learning is that sobriety is really just the insistence um, of daily facing the pain of life, the difficulty of life, the stress of life without tapping out with anything, right? I mean, because booze, food, food. You know, for some people, sex, unkindness, social media, all these things are kind of easy buttons that we jump out of pain with. You know, the other part of marching into the battlefield of life is knowing that you can actually handle the difficulty, the pain of life without these easy buttons that we use to numb it, without anything naked, right? And that the pain of life passes and actually sometimes teaches us exactly what we need to know for the next stage of our life.
1: And what concerns me that's making this harder today is our addiction to our screens, Mm -hmm. because um, in order to find that strength to walk through the battlefield of life naked, I love this, you're going to hear me say it a lot, you need to tap into that inner strength and wisdom. And I find that the addiction to screens has never made it easier for us to run away from ourselves. Absolutely. So what do we do about I mean, that?
2: <laughs> I feel like for sure the the whole book Love Warrior, what it taught me was that the answer to becoming who we were meant to be and living a life of as much purpose as, as we can has completely everything to do with going inward for our wisdom instead of going mm-hmm. outward. I really think that's the bottom line. And I think it's hard. It's hard, especially for women, because we're taught so early to look to everyone else for who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to want. Um, And so immediately, we look to other teachers, we look to our friends, we look to our parents, we look to institutions like churches, and we say, who should I be? Who should I be? And what I learned when my marriage fell apart was that the only way I was going to stay powerful and sane was to find a few minutes a day to go completely inward and be still and silent. Um, Shut off all the screens, shut off all the voices, shut off all the, even the people who loved me. And what I learned during that time is that there is no screen that will tell me what I need to do next. But there is always this knowing, this thing that I call the still small voice. Some people just call it intuition or wisdom. Some people call it God. I don't think it matters what what you call it, but it matters that you know how to tap into it When we get still and shut everything out, it does rise up and lead us to the next right thing. And I think our addiction to screens makes us feel completely lost. We're entertained, but we're lost. We have information, but we have no wisdom. We have entertainment, but we have no peace. Because we've forgotten how to go inward to discover who we were meant to be and what we're supposed to be doing down here.
1: So what are you doing with your children, for example? Your son is 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you do about your kids fascination, if not addiction, with their screens?
2: Right. So my son is the first, he's the oldest. So he's the experiment, right? So basically (laughs) we try everything out on him and we screw him up. I don't know who said that kids are like pancakes, you screw up the first one, but then the rest turn out okay. So he's our (laughs) guinea pig. We have made a a lot of mistakes with him. So I think we gave him a phone too early. He was still the last one in his grade to have a a phone, which we heard about every single day. Um, (laughs) But we gave him a phone. How old was he when you
1: gave him a phone? 11.
2: I think he was Mm -hmm. 11. And listen, we've noticed all kinds of struggles with it. I mean, if you think about middle school and how hard it was to, you know, you feel left out all the time. For them, it's always in their face. Every single thing that someone else is doing without them is literally in their face on these phones. And then the saddest part for me, I think... Is that I think that we're raising a generation of kids who might be less creative because they're never bored. Because the second they have a moment of quiet um, where their time is not filled, which is where creativity is born, they are grabbing their phones. So there's Mm -hmm. no space, there's no white space, there's no blank, there's no time of that stillness we talked about before for them to find creativity. So, anyway, I mean, when Chase got Instagram, that was a big deal for our family. And I said, okay. If you want Instagram, then we figure out what our intention is for Instagram. Instagram is about photographs, right? It's about photography, capturing beauty there. So we said, if you want Instagram, then become a photographer. Get your mm-hmm. camera out. You're not going to use it to climb a social ladder or whatever it is. But if you want to capture beauty in our area, you can start that kind of Instagram account. And he actually did. And it, it's an awesome photography account.
1: Beautiful. I'm going to check it out. So what's, he, what's his hashtag? It's Ch- at Chase's
2: photos. Oh, my gosh. This is so funny. He's going to die of
1: happiness. <laughs> uh, I, I told him I, this I, would tell pay tell off one day. Tell him to be ready to gain a few thousand new followers. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so great. You're so sweet. Um, so, But, but I mean, we've had so many downfalls. Like I feel like a lot of my parenting is just trying to get my kids off their phones. Right? And I, I guess it's just Chase because my other two don't have them yet. Um, so I don't know, this is a major struggle. I also, Ariana, don't buy into the fact that it's all bad. I mean, I'm a person who uses the internet and uses social media to, um, build community and to serve the world. I mean, our nonprofit through social media has raised $7 million for people all over the world. So I think that the internet and social media is not good and it's not bad it's neutral and we just have to be intentional about what energy we bring to it and that will determine what we get back from it
1: right absolutely it's not all bad and that's really what is um, so much harder that there's such incredible possibility that's been opened up because of social media um, and yeah. but at the same time if if we don't set up boundaries, that's when we lose that pathway back into ourselves. And you actually said yourself that even though you have such amazing personal connection with your followers and you've built so much good through social media, you've said that now you want to share less about your personal life. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I've tried. Um, but, but but why did you yeah. want to share less? Well,
2: because I've been doing a lot. So my husband and I, my ex-husband and I divorced and I'm now engaged to Abby and we are doing this co-parenting blended family thing um, in a really beautiful way. It's none of it's easy, but it's all worth it. Craig is a huge part of our lives. He lives a mile away. He and Abby are coaching Tish's soccer team together. We try to do things together all the time. And because we have such a family and co-parenting relationship. I've been thinking a lot about how hard it was while I was writing Love Warrior, probably on him. I don't regret writing it. I really don't. I needed to write that book. It's what I needed to write and it's what the world needed from me. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about how hard it would be to be in a relationship with someone who you knew on some level was always observing and gathering material, right? Who wasn't completely present and surrendered to the relationship because the whole relationship is like a petri dish of like a human experiment that she's trying to gather wisdom and information from, right? Um I've been having a, a lot bit of like
1: the- remember what Nora Ephron's mother said to her which she said um dominated her life. Uh, Her mother said, well, remember, everything in life is copy. (laughs) Yes, everything
2: is copy. Ariana, when I heard that quote, I was like, oh God, I get that on a deep level. Like I could live that way. And I don't, I think there's a huge price to pay for it.
1: Yes. Right.
2: I'm in these relationships and these beautiful things happen. And I so badly want to share it with everybody. But what I'm learning is that when you let something go, when you let something outside of your relationship, you actually don't get to keep it between the two of you, right? There's actually something that's lost. So I don't know. I mean, my empathy for Craig, in retrospective empathy, which is a lot easier to have than <laughs> current empathy, <laughs> <laughs> um, is just making me try to rethink boundaries, I guess, really. Um, and Abby is a very public person, too, in terms of her career. But in terms of her private life, she's private. So both of us are just discussing this a lot about what we're going to keep to ourselves and what part of ourselves belong to the world and what just belongs to us.
1: You know, again, I love so much that you are having this private decision-making public because we all can learn from it. Um, Mm -hmm. There is the beauty of what you did with Love Warrior, which I think Oprah summed up when she said that she felt that she had been given access to a friend's intimate journal. So mm-hmm. there is that which is kind of priceless in terms of what you give your readers. Mm-hmm. But also, as you said, there is something you want to safeguard that stays yeah. sacred. You don't want to share with everyone. And and I know that... Um, with a lot of my friends in in Silicon Valley who are in the middle of the social media world, actually running a lot of these companies, when you go to their home, they will often say, no social media allowed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can't take pictures. You can't post pictures. I find actually that... They're the ones who are protecting their children more mm-hmm. than anyone. I mean, Steve Jobs famously would not let his children have an iPad. It's almost as though they know better than anyone what goes into making these things addictive, like the fact yeah. that as Tristan Harris, the Google ethicist, said, you know, there are a thousand engineers at Facebook, another thousand at Google or Snap, who are actually determined that uh, you are going to keep consuming what um, they're putting out there. They're going to keep hijacking your attention. They know how to do it. And your willpower is just not enough to withstand that onslaught.
2: No, of course. And and as a person who, I mean, one of my, favorite areas is addiction and recovery. I mean, this is not complicated. It's the same thing. It's dopamine. What's released in our brains, the, the second we get a text or we open an email or we get a like on Facebook, it's dopamine. It's what's released when we think or have a drink or when we overeat. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, with booze, we have all kinds of restrictions on it. Right, mm-hmm. But we we wouldn't let our kids drink early, but we don't do that with phones. So it's going to be really interesting to see the effects of that long term. I mean, I think, of course, the Silicon Valley people, they do know better. You know, it's kind of like a junk food uh, mogul, like creating all this food and then they don't let their kids eat it
0: <laughs> because right. they it's, know
1: better. It's also right? what they say, you know, don't get high on your own supply. own
0: supply! <laughs> I love it! That's exactly
1: what it is. That's exactly what it is. I love that. So I love the way you talk about um, about hitting rock bottom and uh, how that is actually an identity change. I'd, I'd love to understand better what do you mean by that being an identity change? Because rock bottom can be such a transformational moment. I mean, my rock bottom was collapsing from exhaustion and breaking my cheekbone. Mm-hmm. Um, your rock bottom was different, but... Uh, I am very grateful to my rock bottom. Tell me about yours. The first rock bottom was on Mother's Day 15
2: years ago. I just found myself sitting on a bathroom floor holding a positive pregnancy test, hung over. I'd been lost to bulimia and alcoholism for 15 years. And um, I just remember thinking this could be the moment. This could be an invitation um, to kind of put that identity away, that bad girl, alcoholic, bulimic identity away and try to grab hold of a truer, better identity, right? It was like the pregnancy test was an eviction notice from my life at the time. Um, And what I know now is that we don't get eviction notices in our lives unless they're also invitations Mm. to a better life and that we don't um, get identities ripped from us unless there's a truer identity that we were meant to take hold of. Um, Which was easy to see at that point, right? Because my identity was addict. It was easy to believe that there was a better identity out there for me. So I got sober and I started becoming things because that's what women do when we want to figure out who we are. We start becoming things. We put on roles, you know, like costumes. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a writer. I'm an activist. Um, And so I built my identity that way for the next 12 years. And I had a happy life. And then um, one day in therapy, my husband told me that he'd been unfaithful for our whole marriage. And in that moment, it was like another eviction notice, right? It was Mm -hmm. um, the moment before that therapy session, I was all of these things and I left that therapy session feeling like I was none of those things. Like I'd actually been handed an eviction notice. Um, and it was ha- a harder one, Ariana, because the first one, you know, when I was being evicted from being an addict, I was like, good call. Like I should be <laughs> evicted from this life. My life sucks, right? But the second one was so sad and so terrifying because I liked my life, right? Like all of these things that I was, I like mother and wife, and they were good things and they made people proud of me and they made me proud of myself, but they still weren't true enough right? Wife, mother, writer, those identities are not true enough because you Mm -hmm. can only put your identity in something that cannot be taken from you and doesn't change.
1: That's beautiful. That's what I uh, learned at that point. And that was the second rock bottom. Yeah. And that's a much harder, it's a much harder lesson, right? Because it's what you said, it's, uh, these are quote unquote good identities. Yeah, it's rock bottom
2: 2.0. Right? The universe gives you an easy one first. And then the (laughs) second one, the second one is like, it's like, okay, now you're ready for this one. We took away the bad identity the first time, but what happens when good identities are taken from you? And what you learn is you're not looking for bad and you're not looking for good, you're looking for true.
1: Okay, we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor Sleep Number because a good sleep routine is the foundation for thriving. Today's sleep tip is to practice a few minutes of deep conscious breathing once you get into bed to relax any tense areas in your body and slow down your mind. It's the perfect way to release the stresses of the day before you go to sleep. You can breathe in to the count of five, Hold your breath for one count, and breathe out to the count of six. Thanks again to our friends at Sleep Number. Discover the Sleep Number bed with Sleep IQ technology at sleepnumber.com thrive. Another identity that often women and men acquire, which is an identity to our jobs, Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about your identity as a wife and mother, and that's something, of course, our culture validates. Um, But then there is the identity to being a successful professional or a successful writer or climbing that career ladder. And I see in my new work around burnout how many people sacrifice who they are and even their health uh, because they put everything into that identity and into strengthening and improving that identity of uh, a successful career woman or a successful career man. Right. Yeah.
2: And that's, of course, like, I mean, that's what women do. You say, who are you? They'll tell you who they love and what they do, Mm -hmm. right? Who they serve, their roles and career person, no matter how important it is, no matter what good you're doing, it's still just a role. And and it can be taken from you at any time. It can change. And we cannot put all of our eggs in those baskets. I talk about all the time about like we have to, as women, stop identifying so much with our roles and really find that soul identity, right? I mean, I think about it all the time as a writer because my job, the way I see it, is to uh, look hard at the world and to tell about what I see as truthfully as humanly possible right, to look out at the world and into myself and tell about it as truthfully as humanly possible, which flies in the face sometimes of building a career. And I can't tell you how many times, I mean, right before Love Warrior came out and I found myself separating from my husband, M- Love Warrior was largely touted as a marriage redemption book, okay? And I had to come out to the entire world a month before Love Warrior came out and say, my marriage is over.
0: Which every
2: Everyone told me not to do, right? But I kept saying, no, 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 what I learned from Love Warrior, from the journey, success to me is not who continues to buy this book or who continues to like me. Success to me is continuing to live as truthfully and honestly as humanly possible. So failure to me is going out on this tour and pretending that I am anything other than I am, right? Right. If, if half the people buy this book who, who may have originally, that's okay. What's not okay is betraying myself in any way. And, and that happens with my activism all the time. I mean, every time I, I open my mouth about, you know, my relationship with a woman or Black Lives Matter or whatever I'm doing at the moment, I lose people left and right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so many artists stop being artists and start being collectors of people because they stop telling the truth because they're so afraid of losing people. Right, So in their quest to become successful, they become absolutely unsuccessful in the one thing they were supposed to be, because an artist is only as successful as she is honest. So the way that I will continue to be a success to me is to know that at the end of the day, I have lived and told about it as honestly and truthfully as possible, no matter who stays or who goes.
1: Would you be able to be as strong and clear about this without your faith? I know that's a big hypothetical but it seems like everything you're saying is so connected to your faith and that knowing that we are not just our jobs and our relationships but um we are ultimately a soul as you mentioned a minute ago.
2: Yeah, I mean I think you're right. I think it probably is completely based on my faith which is changing all the time and looks different than Um, institutional faith, for sure. I mean, I don't look to any religion anymore for permission or approval or wisdom, really. But I think I have some basic beliefs. One, that there is an energy that when I'm aligned with that energy, which I call God, there is peace and love and connection, which has everything to do with truth for me. And God is love. God is truth. And then the flip side of that, which is that I am a child of God and so is everyone else. I tell my kids all the time, be brave because you're a child of God and be kind because everyone else is too. This idea that my responsibilities are to live honestly and truthfully in alignment with God and love and truth, and then to spend most of my energy making sure that other people in my human family have the things that I want for myself which are peace and freedom for my children and safety and um, food and good schools and all of that. So I think that my art is based on my belief that I'm a child of God and that I don't need to be ashamed of anything that's inside of me. And my activism is based on my parallel belief that everyone else is too and deserves all of the things that I demand for myself.
1: And that's where you're giving and uh, you're caring and, Working for others comes in absolutely. Yeah, I can't imagine you know,
2: what we're here for if not that.
1: So you've been um, talking and writing a lot about um, recovering and rock bottom, and for me, in the end, these are also about a third R, which is resilience. Mm-hmm. And as um, as we are going through these times of exponential change, um, resilience seems to be a more and more important gift. So how how do you replenish your own resilience? Mm, So good.
2: Yeah, I mean, the people, the artists, activists, the ones who will make it through this time are the ones who understand the importance of of taking care of ourselves, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, I used to think self-care was like a Nice bonus for people who <laughs> had extra time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think of it now as, you know, not taking care of yourself is, is really selfish and stupid. Um, because if you want to continue to be any force for good in the world, we all know that that has to come first. Right. I don't know. I mean, for me, I, I actually keep lists. I talked about easy buttons before. Right. These things that we do when we let ourselves get overwhelmed by the world and by pain and by stress. So those would be the things that are destructive in our lives and take us away from ourselves and out of the game. For me, it was booze and sex and drugs. But for whoever, you know, everybody knows what their easy button is. And then I have a list of what I call reset buttons. I actually keep them on my wall in my office because once I'm already overwhelmed, it's too late for me to remember what the (laughs) things are. Like, I just will give up. And Ariana, they are the simplest things. They are like, go get a glass of water.
0: Mm.
2: Take a shower. Go walk your dog walk to the corner and back, go sit on the beach for half an hour, take a nap, go to bed earlier. Like they're the simplest things, right? Um,
1: Absolutely. We call them micro steps, you know, which is really what our whole Thrive philosophy and our Thrive trainings are based on. They are not big, um, enormous things that will transform your life overnight, but these little steps make such a huge difference.
2: They're everything. They are micro steps. We get screwed up when we think that we need big, huge change. Every once in a while, I'll get completely overwhelmed and walk into the kitchen and I'll say to Abby, I hate everything. I hate everyone. We need to move. I hate my work. I hate my life. I hate my religion. I hate my... I hate... hate I hate." And she'll go, she'll go, honey, do you need a glass of water? And I think... <laughs> I think, oh, my God, I don't need to move. I just need a freaking glass of water, right? Like, <laughs> And then everything is a little bit better. The micro steps that you call, but you got to figure out what they are for you before you need them, <laughs> right? I love um, that. If I'm left to my own devices, so if I'm already in that place, I'm like at a code red stress place, I'm not going to remember. I'm just going to go to the pantry, right? Or I'm just going to turn on TV, I, I don't know what it is. I have to have them right on the wall so I can remember the things that will bring me back to myself as opposed to taking me further away.
1: And so what's your go-to microstep? Do you have one? Most of mine have to do with water. Okay. So. Yes, I a, noticed that. You mentioned it three times.
2: Yes, I know. I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so if a glass of water doesn't work, then I have to like up my game and like take a bath. Or, yes. or get in the water, if that doesn't work, then I actually have to go to the beach, which I purposely live pretty close to the beach so I can get there if I need to in an emergency. And then when all else fails, I'll try everything else first. But when all else fails, I will resort to sweating. I will try everything else though, Ariana, first. I'll, I'll drink like six glasses of water before I'll get on the elliptical. But I must admit that sweating almost always does the trick for me.
1: Mine is actually having a warm bath with Epsom salts and prolong it as long as I need to. Oh, that's so like wonderful. With lots of flickering candles, the more stressed I am, the more candles, and the more Epsom salts.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'm making that happen for myself tonight. <laughs> that is happening in this house.
1: <laughs> because you said that pain is mandatory and suffering is what's optional. In a way, these micro steps help with the suffering part, don't they? Because we're not going to eliminate pain or upset or anger.
2: I think that the pain is mandatory and suffering is optional is true. I think that suffering is what happens when we numb or easy button our way out of pain, right? That's why I have those two lists because I think when stress or um, hurt or anger or any of those difficult emotions come into our life or our day, There are two ways to handle it. Um, And the first one would be with indestructive ways, right? So um, we tap out of it with booze or food or snark or denial or any of these things that cause us not to sit with the pain, Mm -hmm. right? Those are the easy buttons. And that's when suffering comes in. I mean, I learned this so much through my recovery that. My insistence that I could not deal with the pain of life and needed booze is why I suffered and why everybody around me suffered, all my family and my friends, because I wouldn't sit with the pain and I hit those easy buttons. That's when suffering comes in. You know, it's like pain, all of it demands to be felt. And so if we refuse to feel it by using easy buttons, we just pass it on. It doesn't disappear. We just pass it on to other people in suffering. I think that's what my ex-husband did with me. You know, he couldn't deal with his pain, and so he used sex. But his pain didn't disappear. It just got passed on to me and the kids. When I used booze, my pain didn't disappear. It just got passed on to my family. So, you know, what I think the micro steps are is they're ways to make it a little bit more gentle to sit with the pain right? When you get into the bathtub with your candles, mm-hmm. you're not avoiding pain. You're not avoiding the stress that led you to need to do that. You're just finding a, a gentler way to get through it. But you're still sitting with it. You're not abandoning yourself. You're not easy buttoning the way out. So maybe the easy buttons are the things we push to avoid pain that lead us directly to suffering. And the micro steps or what I would call the reset buttons are just gentler ways to help us sit in the pain and deal with it. And that's how we avoid suffering.
1: And also move through it faster. I learned so much by watching little children because when they're hurt, because you don't let them have an ice cream or they have a boo-boo, whatever, they just cry and scream. And then because they're so totally into their pain they're out of it so fast. And yes. isn't it amazing when suddenly you look around and the child that was screaming and crying like the world had come to an end is now smiling and moving on as though nothing had happened.
2: Yes, because they felt it. They allowed yes. themselves to be in it, and that's how it goes. Right? Like this too shall pass. No matter what it is in our lives, it will pass. It's one of the greatest lessons of my life. That if, I'll just, if I just let it come... If I just sit with it, if I just feel it, it will go faster.
1: To go back where we started, clearly one of the ways that become a go-to way to avoid dealing with pain is uh, going to our screens. So I'd love to ask you just a couple more questions about your relationship with technology. For example, do you sleep with your phone by well, your
2: bed? Well, you're going to be so proud of me, Ariana. This is directly <laughs> because of you. I don't know, but it's only oh, I'm because I'm so of
1: proud. You. I have to send you the phone bed. You know, we have yes. this little charging station where you can put your phones to bed. So I'm sending you one. Sending Abby and you one. Do you want the um, dark wood or light wood? I want light wood. That's so fun. Thank you. <laughs> I earned
2: it. I earned it. Great. Yeah, nobody in way. my family. <laughs> Chase isn't even allowed to have a, a technology in his bedroom at all. Not even during the day. So we try to keep it all out of the rooms.
1: That's fantastic. And I love what you've said about um, children and sleep and putting um, your children to sleep because I have two daughters and and I so identified with what you said that bedtime with kids should come in the morning when we have more energy and we're in a better mood. Uh, But that's one of the paradoxes of sleep and bedtime. You know, we really need the time to help our children um, disconnect from their day and um, do their whole good night moon routine but that's that's the time that we don't have the energy we need so now your children are older but do you still have time with your youngest one to put them to sleep oh I
2: do I put them to bed every night when I'm home I mean I travel a lot and so my kids are half the time with their dad when they're home I do put them to bed my kids go to bed really early you would be proud of me for that too (laughs) <laughs> um, it's half because I believe in sleep and half because I'm just really over them by like 7:30. I just need them to be in bed. So they go to bed early. I think it's one of the reasons why they're sweet, happy kids, because we've always been really strict about bedtimes. Yeah, we do our little nighttime routine. We talk in bed. If there's anything that I know about kids, it's that bedtime is when they suddenly want to tell you all of their innermost thoughts. Which I used to think was sweet, and now I just think is an ingenious stall tactic,
0: right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so they are only allowed to tell me their innermost thoughts for 10 minutes and then just- done. But bedtime is a sweet time. Yeah, it's like one of the only times when you're forced to slow down and snuggle and look each other in the eye and smell. You know, I love smelling my kids' little heads and. I think it's one of the most special times of our day.
1: I agree. And um, that's why we need to kind of bring it back and um, treasure it. Glenn, this has been such an amazing conversation. And I want to end... And um, by asking you something which is a little more political, although not directly political, you've written that what the world needs in order to find peace is to watch one woman at a time leave her truth. So being a woman and being truthful can be both provocative in our political climate right now. So how do you plan to do that? And what advice do you have for other women who might be feeling discouraged right now? Yeah, well, I'd say
2: that that's twofold. One is that there's never been a time when there's kind of been more overt misogyny in the air, right? So there's never been a time when it's been scarier to live out loud, to speak and use your voice as a woman. There's also never been a time when it's more important for women to use their voices and speak their truths and their hopes and dreams for themselves and their families and their country. Ariana, you know that it's it's actually very simple. We know what will happen when a woman speaks up and uses her voice, whether it's in a family or in her community or in the political arena or in the business world or in art, there will be backlash. There will be criticism. It will be brutal, it will be personal, it will hurt. It will also be extremely predictable. There will be four categories of it. You know, I think of it in terms of, all right, so you're a woman, you've used your voice, you go out to the mailbox, you're collecting your criticism. 75% of it will be junk mail, right? The first category will be about your looks. All right, people will tell you that you're too <laughs> fat, you're too ugly, you have too much cellulite, you're too skinny, you're too zitty, you're too whatever. You, Okay, so we can throw all that away, right? We don't spend our time wondering if we're too pretty to speak. It's just irrelevant to whether or not. We can use our voices, right? So looks, criticism, irrelevant, junk mail, throw it away. The second category is relational. So we d- identify with ourselves so much as our success, as our relationships, as women. So people know that's where they can get it. So you are a crappy mom, you're a crappy wife, you're a crappy girlfriend, you're a crappy sister, you're just terrible in all of your relationships. Junk mail, right? The only people we take feedback about our relationships from is the people with whom we're in relationships, So we don't have to take any of that. And the third will be personal about your personality. Okay, so you're too dramatic, you're too emotional, you're too cold, you're too whatever to use your voice. Irrelevant. People don't say that to men, right? The criticism to men who use their voice is about what they're saying. The criticism to women who use their voice is whether or not they have the right to say anything at all. The fourth category is so important, okay? This is 20% of your mail. This is the stuff that you don't throw out before you come into your house. This is the criticism that you take with you into the house and you snuggle up with it. And that's the criticism about your ideas, okay? So you put your ideas out there in the world. The world will, 20% of it will be directly related to what you're putting out in the world. You need to be smart enough to get rid of the 80% and you need to be strong enough to hold on to that 20% Mm -hmm. Take it inside with you and wrestle with it. Listen to what other people are saying. I mean, this happens to me all the time with my activism, right? I speak out about a lot of things and people will say to me very publicly and very strongly, you're wrong about that and here's why. And my job is to then be humble, be open, be soft. And when people are talking to me about my ideas, let it sink in. Let it become part of who I am. And then allow that to make me a better artist and a better writer and a more informed activist the next time I speak out, right? So I think my advice to women would be know and expect what's coming. Know how to get rid of 80% of that criticism before you even take it in your house. And then be brave and courageous and strong enough to really wrestle with the extra 20%.
1: That's amazing advice. I will always remember the 80% junk mail and uh, discard it and then wrestling with the 20% and some of it um, you adopt and I'm sure there'll be some of it that's not right for you, but at least that's worth snuggling into bed with as opposed to leaving it outside before you go back into your sacred place. Thank you so much, Glennon. Thank you for everything you're doing, for the way you're living your life so bravely and so honestly, and for all you are teaching us. Thank you.
2: And I would say the exact same to you. Thank you so much for the work you do in the world. And thanks for trusting me with your people and having me on today.
1: Thank you for listening today. We hope you heard something that inspired you or empowered you. Be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned to thriveglobal.com and iHeartRadio. We want to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at thriveglobal.com or reach out on social media using the hashtag ThrivePodcast and tell us who you'd like to hear from and what are your favorite life hacks. Until next time, be well and thrive. The Thrive Global Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number bed, you can adjust the bed on each side so both you and your partner can experience your best sleep. And with Sleep IQ technology, you'll know how you slept. Does your bed do that? Check out the beds at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. And of course, don't forget to turn off your devices before you tack in.
0: Audiation. At CarMax, we're pretty flexible with how you can buy a car. If you'd rather scroll through 50,000 cars instead of walking the lot, go for it. If you want to see how a car smells on the lot before you buy it, by all means. Hey, we all have our things. Want the whole thing to come to you without ever leaving home? Buy online. Compare how the speakers sound when playing your favorite mix? Yep, visit our lot. And if you want to browse a little on the lot and in select markets have it delivered at home, we're certainly not stopping you. CarMax, the way it should be. Making the world healthier, safer, and more efficient. That's the mission for IT professionals at Lidos. And right now, they're looking for the next generation of innovators to help transform the business and change the future of work. Excellent pay and sign-on bonuses available. Security clearance required. Put your software skills to work with Lidos. Learn more at lydoscom phx2. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot phx2.